You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole, coming at you from some unknown part of the Star Wars galaxy. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is almost every single week, is Christy Morris. I'm here and delighted to be back to talk more Star Wars. Hey, we don't get to do that mu- that that much here. No, we just don't. No. I mean, it's about to be big with Star Wars because, you know, we've got The Rise of Skywalker coming out. Um, As we're recording tonight, they just dropped the last trailer for The Mandalorian. That's right around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, Next year, we have The Clone Wars uh, last season. You know, we know Kenobi's coming. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming. Um, The biggest thing is we don't know what's going to be next in the theater after the end of the Skywalker saga. So... Uh, I believe there will be plenty more. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, I feel like it's in good hands when it comes to what they're going to be doing uh, through Disney+. Plus. So I'm, I'm, I'm just beyond excited about that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the lead-in books for The Rise of Skywalker. The journey to The Rise of Skywalker were on Spark of the Resistance. But before we get there, just want to, you know, say, hey, help out the show. Uh, We actually just turned five years old as a podcast. So, yeah, if you love what we do here uh, and you've never given us a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts, please do that. You know, let people know what you think of the show. Help it grow. Um, we've been going for five years, but the best way to keep the podcast going is to continue to see it grow. Uh, and then the best way to grow is honestly through more star ratings and reviews. So please do that. It means the world to us when you do, and we read your uh, thoughts out on the show. But you could find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Trek FM uh, online. We're on at Trek FM on Twitter. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got our listeners-only discussion group, and that's a place where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about what we're doing here on Trek FM and the different shows. You know, if you want to talk about what we're talking about here on the 602 Club or anything else, go to the Babel Conference on Facebook. You can get there by typing Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can go over to the website at trek.fm, and any of our show pages, there's a button that says Discussion. Click that, and it'll let you in. So, um, so many different places you could do that, and... The reason that we can bring all of these shows to you every week, we have an incredible group of associate producers here through uh, Patreon. Uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyam Millett, and Daniel Noah, they've been supporting our show for a very long time. And the entire network. Um, it's a lot, a lot, a lot to put all of this on what we do here in this network. And we can't do it alone. Uh, we can only do it through the assistance of listeners just like you. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm, become part of our team. We also have some great contribution levels you can give at to get even more perks. But honestly, every little bit helps. So we just encourage you, patreon.com slash trek.fm. Well, Christy, with this book, as we mentioned, we're, we're talking about Spark of the Resistance and... So, as with uh, any of the Journey 2 series, we've gotten the Journey to the Force Awakens, mm-hmm. Journey to the Rise, uh, the Journey to the Last Jedi, and now Journey to the Rise of Skywalker. And so, each of these is is meant to, in some way, set the stage for what we'll get in the movie. Uh, this year, the the things that they're doing to do that are, there's this book, which is a middle grade book, um, The Spark of the Resistance. Um, they have a comic series, Star Wars Allegiance, mm-hmm. uh, which is currently running now. And in fact, as we're recording this, um, but the day this come out, comes out, the last issue of that is coming out. Uh, and then there will be a two adult books. Um, there's going to be a book called The Force Collector, or it's just called Force Collector, not The Force Collector. And then there's another book that's coming out right around the corner as well called Resistance Reborn. 
And so that's what they're using to kind of build into this time period between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, which there's actually a time period between the two movies now, other than like 24 hours or whatever. So, <laughs> um, I just, this book, I just want to ask you, that's part of what it's trying to do is kind of set the stage. So I just wondered how you thought this book does with that first mandate of trying to set that, that building towards what we'll see in the rise of Skywalker. I think that it does it. Okay. Uh, you can definitely tell even if you don't know exactly um, what's going on yet right after The Last Jedi, you can tell when you start this book that that's when it's set um, by, you know, their statements of different things that are happening. You're going, OK, it's we've got Rose at this point. It's Ray kind of on her own now. She doesn't have Han with her. Um, they're talking about General Organa, which kind of brought a tear to my eye the first time they mentioned her this time. Um, but sort of like it, they're on their own. It's just Ray, Rose, Poe, and BB-8 together on a mission. Um, so I like it from that aspect and getting to see them really branch out and have to do something in a small group like that. Um, when really we did not ever see Ray and Rose together in The Last Jedi. So getting them kind of having a partnership now was interesting. Um, but I like too that they've started this journey to the next movie because it's not required reading, but sometimes it is nice to kind of add to your experience with the movies and build in a little bit more in the gaps. Yeah. You know, um, any of these places, your, your goal you know, I'm, I think I've said so many times, you know, we're talking about tie-in fiction, and the same is true for when I was doing, um, you know, literary tracks. When a book uh, for tie-in fiction can add to your experience of a movie or TV show and enhance it, that's perfection. You know, mm -hmm. that's what you want. Um, so it is an, an example uh, last week um, on aggressive negotiations, John Mills and I were talking about the uh, the last run, uh, uh, the last arc for Charles Soule's Darth Vader, uh, the Fortress Vader arc, and we we're talking about how much that adds to our experience then of then seeing Vader uh, in Rebels and then also seeing Vader in the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. because of the experiences there. So, you know, that's what you want. And what's great here is that you don't quite know how this is going to necessarily build into the movie and, until we see the movie. Right. Um, but it, ha it gives you that opportunity then if it's done well, which there's there, we don't quite know yet, but I, I feel like there's a few hints at some of the things that this book is, is possibly like leading towards for the movie. Um, if they've done it well, you'll think back and be like, oh, yeah, I read that in Spark of the Resistance. And that's what that little piece of, you know, like minutia in the background or that one mention of this person, you know, like then there's that whole story that impacts, you know, how you view the movie. So um, it's always fun to kind of read these either comics or books and then see how well they actually had built you towards the movie and add to that as you're watching it so that you know, as you're triggered, basically, like, oh, that's that character. And like, they may just be in the background, but you know, like this whole other story with them and how they know other characters that you know, um, in the story. So that's one right. of the things I think that helps. And I think you mentioned too, you know, this is a book that sets characters together in our core group now that haven't spent a lot of time together. You I mean, the only characters here that have spent a lot of time together on screen are Poe and BB-8 and Ray and BB-8, but mm -hmm. not together, right? Right. And, and then, you know, Rose hasn't really spent a ton of time with either of them at this point. So you have this group who you get to experience them on a mission together, and, and that's part of that, too. And, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit more later kind of how those dynamics work out and all that, but, you know, that gives you some idea of... of then hopefully building towards the movie as well. And I, I meant to ask you as well, if you felt like there was a lot of um, familiar things happening in this story that we may have seen elsewhere. It was kind of funny. Uh, there were a couple pieces that really stood out to me where, for example, when uh, I don't know if it sounded familiar to you when it, 
they're down in the tunnels on uh, this planet Minfar. You know what it's called? Yeah, I think Minfar is correct. Yep. Um, and there is a an invisible bridge that they find, oh, yeah. and they've got to figure out how to get across <laughs> to the other side. And I'm going, hmm, haven't seen that in Indiana Jones before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they definitely, um, they they definitely, you know, the author here, uh, she has used. Um, a few references to other things, which, you know, I think, you know, that happens a lot. Um, you yeah. know, I was just reading a, uh, a a Star Trek book recently, getting ready for a Literary Treks episode. Um, and there are a few different allusions to different franchises in there, just little winks. So they definitely do that. But yes, that actually plays kind of a big part in here. Um, what did you think? Like the the whole the whole story here is that the 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 characters here of Ray, Poe, and Rose, along with BB-8, they're on a mission uh, to pick up. They're basically on a supply run. Uh, they're on a target run, um, right? <laughs> and intergalactic target run. And uh, they're on their way back to the Resistance, and they get a distress call. Uh, and so the question then became: like, do we answer this distress distress call? Do we not answer this distress call? Um, and so this whole story is really about the resistance trying to rebuild itself so that it can stop, you know, the galactic domination of, of the first order right. when there was only 12 people left, um, by the, the end of the last Jedi and, um, kind of showing what some of those things are like, which is trying to get these supplies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So how did you feel about that part of, of the setting the stage? I, I think that it did um do its job and it, it kind of even remind me of uh reminded me of the Leia Princess of Alderaan book. Um when you have to make these decisions which determine your character and one of those is Ray saying what should someone who's working with the resistance do in this situation? You can't just ignore someone who's in need of help. Just because it could be risky, it doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do. So I like that they really harp on that in this book um, and that it it reminds you of who Ray is, even though she's had these moments in the movie with Kylo where you're wondering if maybe she's possibly having doubts about the Jedi or if he is possibly going to be redeemed. Um, I like that this Ray uh, reminds me of her ties to the Jedi and, and that she is a good person and that she really is going to lean on the side of the resistance. No, that I was going to say, you know, I think that's a, that's an important key in here, you know, because the, the, the thing that Poe and Ray and, and uh, that Poe and Ray and Rose come to is this idea that we have to answer this distress call basically right. because you can't just do what's right um, when it's easy. And they also do the right thing in the sense that they put themselves in the shoes of the people calling for help and say, well, what if that was us? How would we want people to respond exactly. to that? So really it's basically they're living out the golden rule of, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And that's exactly what the side they fall on. So I think you're absolutely right. Them playing that out shows these to be the heroes that we want them to be um, because they make the tough choice, which, you know, they're on a supply run for the resistance, which is an important thing. But also they feel the desire to make sure if they can help somebody, they should help somebody. Um, and even if it's going to be difficult for them to do so. Although <laughs> it does kind of crack me up now thinking, whatever happened to finishing that initial supply run? It's like they went off on a side quest and then <laughs> broke down. And now you don't know when they're going to get back to the whole supply run piece. Yeah. Well, and this is this is one of the things where I felt like in many ways, this book kind of reminded me of early episodes of Rebels where they were doing a lot of supply run things that I, I, I felt like, you know, picking yeah. up supplies from one place and, you know, sending them to another place. Um, and so this had a lot of that, which was is fine, you know, in many ways, when you're thinking about this kind of building up of uh, of the resistance again, you, this is all going to be stuff you have to do. 
And so really you hope that this story then becomes more about the character building for, for the characters we're with than necessarily the story, because mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, where you would hope it would go. Um, I did think it was interesting though, uh, just talking about this, they mention in the book, a part of the story that we're reading in the allegiance comic and they ruin it. Really? Um, yeah. By having this come out. And if you read this book right away, and you haven't finished the comic series. I mean, we're spoiling. I'm going to spoil that too. But the the Leia's whole mission with Rey and that storyline is going to Mon Cal to um, ask Akbar's son for help and yeah. the resistance that they find there to that idea of helping the resistance. Um, and we don't know if they completed their mission yet. But we know now that they did complete their mission because we read it in this book. And it's like, I was really actually surprised because uh, this book seems to come after that comic series. And what I've seen online is that the Resistance Reborn book is actually kind of the first book in continuity. And then it would be the comic series and then it would be this book. So I was a little disappointed then that they just didn't release Resistance Reborn first um on force friday and then released this book after at least the comic series was done because it just seemed strange to me that they would ruin a story point for that comic in this book yeah i mean at least let you know maybe ahead of time you should actually read them in this order i mean because that that's unfortunate (laughs) thankfully i didn't know yeah, and I would say, too, that this is one of the things that they have done that I haven't been such a huge fan of with the new canon. If you pull out any of your Legends books, um, the old Legends books, there's this massive timeline in there mm-hmm. that you know, and every book would be put on the timeline where it goes. And they've been kind of wishy-washy because these books are quote-unquote canon, and the comics are, too, at placing them definitively in the timeline. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because they're doing that dance of, you know, we want to be able to kind of massage it if we have to, so that we don't like overwrite something that we've done. Right. But then we can just push it and say, Oh, it comes out, you know, um, instead of being defended. But it also kind of gets frustrating sometimes when you're like, you, you want to read these things in continuity or, and, yeah, I, it, I'm i right there with you. It would have been nice if they had just been like, yeah, you should, or why not, if you already know that as the publishing arm, yeah, why not just release them in that order then so that that doesn't happen for people? And that, you know, I definitely agree that they do want to, for sure, you can tell they want to have some f- fluidity with putting things where they would like or um, at least being able to come back later and add in something in between things that are currently on the timeline. But there's still definite timing set for every piece we've had so far that you can't change. Like, this definitely comes after The Last Jedi. You can't change that. So, yeah, I mean, it it would be obvious that people should have read the comic before this at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, and and it's just so interesting because that comic, and and we're going to do a supplemental episode sometime. I was already talking to Bruce Gibson, and he agreed to do it with me sometime when we can do it um, once it's all out. Ray and the Force are a big part of this book. Like, she's on the cover. She's the main character of the sequel trilogy. And I thought it was just this this book in some ways was interesting for me with Ray and some ways was frustrating with me for Ray. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just uh, this whole book. She kind of seems out of sorts after the last Jedi. She's got no mentor and she really seems to be struggling with her relationship with the force, which to me, I, it just seems like a mixed bag with her as a character. Yeah, I've been frustrated, and I'm glad that you said that, because I'm going, okay, I'm not alone then. That at this point, after all Ray's been through, you know, we've had two movies, we've had multiple books, we've had her go through Han kind of being her mentor, and then wanting Luke to be her mentor, and now she doesn't have him either. I feel like at this point, though, she should have found 
found something to put her faith in. And so I'm feeling kind of frustrated that I feel like we've gone so far now with her seemingly not have gone anywhere in her relationship with the force that she seems kind of still at the beginning of things. And I, I want Ray to be more, I was really excited to see her in the force awakens and to see what she could become. And and I feel like she's still just trying to figure things out when I feel like at this point, Luke had more of an idea of, okay, I'm definitely trusting the force and the Jedi and putting my faith in that. And I, I want Ray to really lean into that more than she has, whether or not she has a mentor left, you know, am I making sense? No, you are making sense. I um, The thing that I, I really struck me, especially the first time that I read this book, I kept thinking, you know, the big thing about the, the last Jedi, right? When Luke goes to burn down the temple, um, you know, the tree, and you know, he's all worried about the books then when it actually goes on, gets on fire. And Yoda tells him, uh, Ray already has everything that she needs. Mm-hmm. And then we see that she has the, the books, uh, these Jedi, these ancient Jedi texts. And what I think is so frustrating for me is that why is Ray struggling with the force? She's got the ultimate guide to the force in the Falcons, you know, like drawers. Yeah. And, is she not going to read them? Like, so, and this really bothered me because we got the feeling from, you know, the conversation that Luke has with Yoda that he's never read them. You know, Yoda even asked him, uh, read them, have you? Page turners, they were not. And Luke is kind of like, you know, like he's mm-hmm. never read them. And I'm like, just, just read. Like, just read the book. Yeah. Like it's right there. Like the the manual on the force is in the in the Falcon. Like why is this a thing? So I I feel like I think the what I'm really frustrated with the story of Ray is is that the tools are there for the storytellers, but it feels like they don't want to use them. And honestly, I feel like they're just holding it back maybe for the movie and that that just frustrates me all the more. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, even though there were parts that I liked about The Last Jedi, I I did still feel like we got through a whole movie. And what did we do with Rey? I felt like all she did was fight with Kylo and then the two of them fought against Snoke and the Praetorian Guards. But that we didn't learn anything new about Rey, that she still hasn't focused solely on building her power with the, the connection to the Force and trying to grow in that aspect. Uh, and that's what I want to see. So I I felt like this book helps that a little bit. Um, but then at times it feels like they're just throwing in, well, you know, I remember that one time on crate that I was able to move some rocks. So maybe I could do that again. And it's like, what th- there's more to it than moving rocks. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that I'm most annoyed with, with her, characterization is the fact that they're not allowing her to have mentors and Mm -hmm. you know I don't know what that's trying to say but to me the only way that we grow is through the wisdom of those around us and the most wise people around us are those that are our mentors you know those Mm -hmm. that have gone before us that are uh, you know been through those experiences and I know in my life that's made a huge difference of having incredible men uh, who have poured into me, you know, um, and some amazing friends that are women that have also done the same thing. And so you need that, right? You need that experience of, of those that are older, have been who have been before us, you know, and, and Ray has got none of that from anybody. And I think it's just really frustrating for me. But then on top of it, she has the textbook of the force in the Falcon and why wouldn't you read it? And so it made me really frustrated because it just feels like they're keeping the character stagnant. And I don't, I don't know why. And, and there's almost a sense to me where you're not really going to allow Ray to grow very much until the movie comes out. I honestly don't want a book with her in it. 
then. Yeah. Because it just makes it more frustrating when there are literally story point elements that we got from the last movie that are big pieces that then we're not going to follow up on until the next movie, if that's the case. And I would, would wanted to know your opinion as well on the little back and forth between Ray and Poe in particular um, toward the beginning of the book. I, I personally wasn't a fan of them having a moment where Ray gets her feelings hurt that she realizes Poe doesn't think she's as great of a pilot as she is. And, it, you know, him saying... Well, the reason I kept asking you if I could fly the ship was because of that reason. And then it, it's playing like Ray's really hurt and now doesn't know if she can trust Poe or if they're really friends or whatever. And I feel like even for this being a more YA book, that that's just not how Ray and Poe would act in that situation or that Ray would ever think that way of it. Oh, I can't believe you thought that. No, Ray's a strong woman. She's not going to take crap from Poe. Well, I, I just, I felt like it felt, to me, that scene between those two didn't feel congruent with either of these two characters. Yep. Um, I agree. Now, Poe wondering if Ray is, is as good a pilot as she is, of course he would think that. You know, yeah. you want to know why? Poe ain't ever really seen Ray fly. Right. So it'd be natural for him to wonder. Out. Yeah. So, I mean, like, this is like, this is the first time that we've had them on an extended mission together. So, of course, Poe would have no idea if she could fly. And he would offer his services to fly because Poe does know he's a great pilot. He's he's literally one of the best pilots, if not the best pilot in the galaxy. And he'll tell you, you that. Know? <laughs> yes, he will. But, 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 but there is... There is legitimacy to back up his claim, too. Right. You know, um, and we've seen it. We we saw his flying ability in The uh, Force Awakens. You know, he single-handedly shot down, like, 12 you know, TIE fighters ab above you know, Maz Kanata's, you know, destroyed castle. So, yep. I mean, that whole scene just seemed like the characterization there for both of the characters was completely off. So, um, I do think the moment where Ray really does have a good fantastic moment is the point in which she stops. She's going to use the force and instead of trying to enforce her will on the force, she just listens instead. Yes. She immerses herself into the force and then allows it to guide her instead of, you know, her trying to. To, to use it as some kind of weapon. Um, or, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, at least we got some movement with Ray and her connection with the Force where Ray has kind of seen is that it's not about just using the Force. It's about allowing the Force to flow through you and then work in concert with it. Um, and if she'd just read the books, I'm sure they would have told her that. But, <laughs> you know, I'm just glad at least that we got that moment because that was actually, I thought, a great moment. And that's that's definitely, you know, anybody who doesn't have a mentor, this is the type of thing that where they would be like having to kind of learn on their own. And so, um, yeah, I really appreciated that we at least got that with her. Yes, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I'm glad that you brought that up. I felt the same way. I felt like it was kind of ironic because I feel like sometimes we don't even realize things about ourselves until we say it out loud to someone else. Uh, sort of like you're teaching someone else how something works and then suddenly going, oh, yeah, maybe I should follow what I'm telling you to do. And I, so I felt like Ray had that moment where she's telling Rose, that's not how the force works. I can't just call my friends through the force whenever I feel like it. Uh, and then later has this moment of I just need to pause and listen and let the force flow through me, like you said, instead of trying to make the force work for whatever she wants. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, in the end, you know, that's the that's the place where, you know, in, instinctually, the, the place where, you know, when the Jedi were at their best, 
that's who they were, were people who were working in concert and in tune with the will of the force, not imposing their will on the force. Because yes. the more you do that, the more you kind of become the dark side, which is um, because you're using the force as a tool for your own selfish gain. Exactly. Instead of, you know, listening to the will of the force and doing that. And so, you know, a, Again, I just think that would be something that would, I'm sure, be in one of those ancient Jedi texts. She should just crack those open and read. Um, you know, and we know that Ray can read because um, <laughs> before the Awakening book mentioned that she had all of these like computer programs and, and books and stuff that went along with that. That's how she taught herself to fly with a simulator. So Ray is not uneducated. It's not like she has those books and she can't read them. So it's, you know, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What did you think? We got Poe and, and Rose here in the book. And, and how did you feel about the characterization with those two characters here in the book? I felt like Rose was very spot on with what we've seen before of her. Uh, and I did kind of like her better. Like Little Miss Sunshine? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I, I didn't like her as much in The Last Jedi. Um, just as a character, it felt like they it kind of made her um, an angry child and then suddenly tried to force a, a romance between her and Finn when maybe it didn't happen as organically. Um, but here I kind of liked Rose a little bit better because I feel like you're learning more about who she really is deep down. And then I, I liked the whole back and forth between Rose and then um, Ray and Poe talking about how Rose thinks that, well, if we take one of the First Order's weapons, but we're using it to accomplish something good, then it's okay, right? And it and it's her more wanting some validation. It was a question. She wasn't sure. And I like that Ray is coming back and saying, definitely not. There are weapons that general organa would never use regardless of how you're planning to use them like star killer base and i like that then poe agrees with ray and they're teaching rose how all of this works because rose is pretty new to, to the re resistance and everything and so it, i i like that moment um poe i love as a character but here i felt like the author kind of made poe into this teenage boy um who came across a little more moody they kept mentioning his gorgeous hair and it felt like out of place i mean who else has that hair right because all the stormtroopers are taking notice <laughs> i mean maybe they're female stormtroopers you don't know yeah uh and and i mean like you know yes stormtroopers can be any gender that's fine but i feel like the hair comments were i counted at least four or five times and it just wasn't necessary and i felt like you can tell a good story with poe without having it just be about his looks or uh him putting ray down yeah so i am right there with you i i felt as though what we were getting with Poe, there were some, there were some moments where like, especially his dialogue was right on target. You know, it felt like something that Poe would say. Mm -hmm. um, but this is kind of something that I had a problem with, with all of the, the dialogue in the books is that many of the times I just kind of felt like they felt too generic. Like, Again, Rose kind of feels like, you know, Little Miss Sunshine and, and Poe, like you said, kind of feels a little bit more like a hotshot teenage boy. And then mm -hmm. Ray feels a little bit more like the moody teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And so and instead of feeling like, you know, the characters and I think I maybe that's I'm. I don't know if it's just that we don't have as much time that we've spent with these characters, so we really know their dialogue, but it just didn't feel as real, and I do agree with you. I think Poe is the one who suffers the most from that in the book, where 
you're just like, wait, I just don't think Poe would act like that. And they did try to uh, acknowledge that some of the, you know, some of the lessons that he learned, he wasn't quite as much of a hothead. You know, mm-hmm. he, there was a moment where he thought about maybe running into, you know, danger, basically. And he, he decides not to because he's learned his lesson, basically, and stuff like that. But it just seemed odd to me because, you know, The Last Jedi's whole thing with Poe was basically supposed to be about turning him into the leader of the Resistance, you know, the one that everybody would look to in the end. And here, he didn't feel like the person that that movie was trying to make him into, like that we would really look to him. He still felt too much like, I don't know, he just felt a little bit petulant about pouting about not getting getting to fly and like we talked about earlier his his whole interactions with ray and so yeah i think the the dialogue characterization of all of them kind of suffers but i felt like for poe it suffered the most yeah it it does kind of feel like now that you mention it like the petulance of it with poe it feels like he's been punished by his mom and now he's being a little bit more cowardly (laughs) You know, after his whole interaction with General Organa in The Last Jedi, now he is being um, sulky. Yeah, and I mean, you know, from what we got at the end of the... the, I mean, you know, what we got there at the, at the end of The Last Jedi, that's not what I would expect at all from him. You know, it felt like he had really kind of like at the end of that movie he had learned his lesson and he was going to be uh you know somebody that everybody could look to i mean there's the really even that whole scene at the end where you know leia makes the point of saying why are you all looking at me follow him Mm -hmm. you know like there so it just seemed a little bit strange that we would kind of come yeah down on that side with poe um we do have some other characters in the story, and um, there's Glenna Kipp, who's that scientist in the book who has been who had been working with the Empire, but she had been uh, trying to help from the inside keep things from going haywire, which she realizes doesn't end up um, working all that well. And then she's quote unquote working with the First Order, but really she's just using them to try and get to Zion this uh to save the zion the the uh that's what i call i think it's what how you would say the species but this species of um killer green bunny rabbits uh so yeah i was like are, so green ewoks i don't with, know with, yeah like but but like bunny ewoks okay yeah so um yeah so what did you think of of her character then in the story i think the biggest thing that bothered me about this whole book was her background because it felt too science fiction for me. It definitely bothered me that it became about, oh, there was this secret lab and she's a scientist and had other scientists that were working on something. And yeah, then they kind of tried to make it into, oh, it was a, a mind control device. But it still came across to me more like the plot of something I would see on the sci-fi channel than it does a fantasy or uh, a space western. It just really, that annoyed me and didn't feel like it was supposed to be in Star Wars. So I didn't like that to begin with. But I like the character arc in general that she kind of goes through with starting out meaning well with developing whatever that was um, and then it kind of blowing up in her face and then having to try and turn things around from there and and realizing she's a good person and wants to help the resistance but doesn't know how to without getting caught so she's going to help the first order or act like it and then flip later um but it it did get to where it felt like there was just too much going on with her when she's then trying to come up with a way to make Ray, Rose, and Poe trust her by doing something. Did did you feel the same way? Yeah, it was interesting because I just read um I'd never read the Jedi Academy series by Kevin J. Anderson and there's a character in there called 
Quizux, uh, I think is how you'd say the name, and she is an Imperial uh, scientist, and she's the one, at least in the Legends continuity, who's responsible for drawing up most of the plans for the Death Star and helping them create things like that, or then the Sun Crusher, or, you know, mm-hmm. World Devastators and things like that. And... So, I, like, it got this feeling like th- that character where you talked about, it kind of feels like hard sci-fi. You know, it feels more sci-fi-ish than sci-fi or than space fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of got that feeling a little bit with Glenna Kip. Um, and, you know, I didn't quite have a problem with them having this kind of mind control device, the echo horn, you know, and apparently it only really works on the the killer bunnies, you know, on this planet. Right. Um, but, you know, I and I don't have a problem with it. I mean, obviously, the, the thought of the Empire having scientists to do things. I mean, Rogue One is all about that, right? You know, uh, Galen Erso well, and his yeah. group of scientists and stuff like that. So that part wasn't too much. But the part that felt a little bit much for me is that apparently she's been around a long time and she knows Leia and stuff. So she has this other, like, it felt like they were trying to do too many things with the character, Right, um, like they're saying, oh, we could tie her back into this story, and you're going, okay, mm-hmm. whoa. Well, and and because of that, the book felt like it, in some ways, it needed to almost be longer to help justify who this character was in all these different areas. Right. Because there just wasn't enough time to spend with her to kind of build that in a way that felt a little more organic to the story other than just throwing in like you know by the end like how she knows leia and stuff like just it feels like a little bit much it's like if she had just been this character who was basically trying to redeem herself i think that would have been enough right like don't mention it if you're not gonna go anywhere with it it wasn't necessary to make it a good story and i mean that's one of those areas where who knows it could be a thing where they mention something in the rise of skywalker you know like or maybe she's in the background you know or something like that i don't know yeah maybe they or will. maybe she's just mentioned because they also mentioned that she could be a great spy so maybe she's you know a spy contact that they meet or something i mean yeah. so they could utilize it but i mean at least for the 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 story of this book it did just feel like a lot for this one character to kind of have been, you know, either responsible for or linked to. Yeah. And it really, I have to add the other thing that bothered me that I felt like was unnecessary was her back and forth with the commander um, on the first order ship about constantly correcting him to call her professor and constantly stating why she only calls him by his first name instead of commander whatever i just felt like that was unnecessary too i'm like yeah you can mention it once but it doesn't need to be this constant thing i get it well and i think you know that commander spivs or uh that's what it was brand wayne yeah um i he was probably the worst character in the book i mean he just comes up as this stuck up non-reading egotist and i think what i was really frustrated with is that why is everybody in the first order just a big boob like, <laughs> right <laughs> you know like that's what we turned we turned hux into a just complete goofball you know he felt like dark helmet mm-hmm. um, from space balls was more realistic and now this guy, he just comes off as the most comically evil guy you could have who's just out for themselves. And there's no, there's nothing about it that feels realistic. It just feels super cheesy um, and super, I hate to say, but just kind of dumb. He comes off as dumb. And like, yeah. so if this is the first order and you're trying to make them really scary, there's nothing scary about this dude. He's just an idiot. And I think that that, you know, is a mistake in the writing. I think it, in that point, I would have told it differently and said at some point, given him some kind of a win, something um, to make him seem more brutal, menacing, intimidating, something to be a threat. Because I do think you hit that point perfectly saying it, it's really not a threat for anybody in this whole story. 
and then him having this superior um hydrek who is supposedly going to come in in two days and take over everything so he's got to hurry up and get his job done that didn't really help it either because even after that point they don't give him a win so it yeah it just feels like why is he even here he's a bumbling fool yeah that's i i think that's the thing when you make your your hero is only as good as your villain yep and when your villain is nothing but a big boob like i don't know i'm why am i gonna why would we be scared of them and then it makes your heroes feel less because they're not really defeating anybody who's a challenge and yeah. so and that's you're just where not like doing yourself any favors that's where rebels was so much better than this because bringing in thrawn was such a big deal because he was a huge stake for the rebels to have to deal with he was constantly mm-hmm. on their tail and he wasn't constantly striking an attack either. He was observing and then hitting them where it really hurt and doing things like taking um, Hera's Calicori, you know, these things that hit someone to their core that are not just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, take your dog. It was something deeply meaningful. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, one of the things that, you mentioned there really hits the nail on the head is we've seen star Wars do villains. Well, yes. Like Darth Vader is obviously one of the most memorable villains in all of a star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have characters like, um, uh, then you have characters like the emperor and then you have characters like Thrawn, um, and you know, Darth Maul and like all of these different types of characters, um, that are scary and really well done villains and make you fear for your characters' lives because you don't know how they're going to be able to beat this bad guy. Right. Uh, because this bad guy is serious business, right? I mean, like, they, they take their job of villainy very seriously. <laughs> right. Um, but it's because they don't think they're villains, right? They think they're they're doing what's right and best for the galaxy, and that's what makes them truly scary. And Whereas this guy only cares about getting promoted. Yeah, this guy doesn't care about anything other than himself, and in a way that doesn't even make him seem like a threat. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and that's just disappointing, like... I, you you've got to be able to create villain characters that when your your heroes overcome them, you feel as though it was an accomplishment. Right, and here you just feel like everything was pretty easy. <laughs> I, yeah. What did you think of the Zion, the uh, killer green bunnies who uh, live in kind of the underground area? Which that part sounded super cool. That world building part with like where they live and all, I thought was yeah. That felt felt like a really cool Star Wars idea. Well, and reminded me of it, more things from Rebels. I feel like we've seen that, and I can't remember what episode. Oh, with Malachor, yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. The plant. Yep, yep. I yep. That I thought the exact same thing. So it, yeah, there were a lot of moments in this book where I was going, "That's kind of from Rebels." That's kind of from Rebels. Um, so I, I did feel familiarity with this kind of environment, and was glad to be having something like that again, um, because that is something that you don't see a lot, where it's uh, you know you're going underground or um, mm-hmm. underwater. Uh, so it, I, I like that aspect, but I felt like there wasn't really a lot of explanation as to why they live there how the ground is opening and closing um you know i i don't know i just felt like there was something kind of lacking with the building of the actual species not as much their world um that i just wanted more and felt like it fell a little flat what did you think yeah no i agree i i felt like I wanted kind of a little bit more there. I thought it would have been nice um, if we had gotten a little bit more. uh, Like not just just a physical description of them, like a history. Yeah. Yeah, um, I 
think that's part of the thing where we just could have had, if we had a little bit more time to the book, you know, I think um, it would have been nice. So um, we just didn't, you know. Um, So, I mean, they were fine. I mean, it's okay. Uh, I just, I mean, I thought that they were relatively uh, acute, um, you know, characters and stuff i thought that was kind of like semi-interesting i just i felt like we like you said we could have just had more so what do you think of um you mentioned this a little bit earlier and the the one of the things i thought was really great about the story is how we got this whole idea of how we fight in this question of what weapons will we use to win this war? And it's something, obviously, we did, it's a big discussion in the Clone Wars, so I thought it was really nice to see them using this here. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought they did a really good job with bringing that here to uh, the you know sequel trilogy, and these characters have to wrestle with that discussion. Yeah, that's something I feel like we constantly see through everything in Star Wars and that I'm glad that was brought into this story and gave it a little more weight that it needed was talking about how they fight is what determines who's on the side of the resistance and who's on the side of the First Order, because the First Order is going to use tools to oppress people and to cause people pain to get to means to so that they're a means to an end. Um, whereas the resistance, their ultimate goal is to use things to build people up and to encourage community and for good. Um, and so they are complete opposites. And I like that Ray and Poe are telling Rose, we can't take a first order weapon and try to use that thing that was intended for evil in a good way or or think that we're using it for good by using it against the First Order. Then we're just becoming like them. And so I think that's the most important piece is always discerning that line that you don't cross. Yeah, to me, this was a really good discussion in the book. And it it it's a really important one. You know, I think, you know, with this being a middle grade book, you know, it's a great discussion to have that it's not just important that we fight. The question is how we fight because that reflects then on who we are. Mm -hmm. And the, I loved the idea, like you mentioned earlier, them having the discussion that there are some weapons that we can't use. Um, there are some weapons that are too awful to be used. And they, you know, they mention obviously Starkiller Base is, you know, one of them, you know, that things are just tools, but there are some things that are so awful and really only have one purpose yep. that the tool itself is evil. Um, and, you know, I think that's a really important thing to to be reminded of, you know, that just that, that not everything in this world is just equal, you know, like that is just neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that are are totally not neutral in our world. Uh, and I appreciate that they really dive into that idea for this book and they make the characters discuss it. And they also just make the characters have to think through that idea. Right. Like they um, even kind of have a debate where Rose says, well, I mean, the stormtroopers use blasters and we use blasters. How is that any different? And so I like that Ray comes back and draws that line in the sand and says, that's different, though. That's not like something that's inherently evil, like Starkiller Base. These have these are just tools that can be used either way. Um And I mean, generally, the rebels or the resistance are going to try not to kill people um, if they don't have to. But I feel like the First Order always is going to be using people as just a means to an end and that people are expendable. I mean, specifically with having stormtroopers in the first place, they're faceless people that are just disposed of all the time. Yeah, and I mean... That, I mean, it, and it, what's great 
what's great is how that, you know, goes all the way back to, you know, discussions you have throughout the Clone Wars and you have throughout the original trilogy and now you're having here and it's an important question to discuss because the how we fight separates the sides of good and evil. Yes. And it's, you know, obviously the characters fall on the right side here, but I thought that's probably the best theme and it's just the best part of the book, them having these discussions. Um, and I also love, you know, too, one of the reasons that they realize this is because they're able to see the impact that it has on the Zion people, right? I think that's 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 a good thing, like to see the impact of a weapon like this on actual beings right was really smart and so i'm just glad that we got it we got to see that and we got to see then our characters react to that um in a way that i think is just really helpful so yeah it's good i mean that's i mean that for things this book does well i think that is one of the best things that this book does so yeah, I I absolutely would agree with that as well. I think, too, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't want to go on for too long, but um, it reminds me of when uh, a good friend of mine, um, Thomas Harper, uh, was talking about war crimes because he's in the military. Um, I thought that that was a perfect comparison to talking about how in Star Wars they discuss that how we fight determines our character that uh, war crimes in real life are have been defined because of that fact that there's certain ways that you treat people that would create um, a really terrible person and that just you don't do when you're discussing appropriate rules of engagement and, and rules of how you treat prisoners of war and, uh, rules of how you fight on the battlefield. And I I, I mean, you know, again, some of the best Star Wars has done that and had that discussion. You mm-hmm. know, what what is it that separates us from those that we call villains? And I think, you know, the fact that we have these new characters having this discussion, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, for you, you know, if you were going to rate spark of the resistance where do you come down do you think for me there were um about as many negatives as there were positives with this book so i'm gonna put it right in the middle of the road and give it a three out of five um just because it it really bothered me the way that they treated poe like we said about him just kind of being a, a moody teenager in this book instead of really getting much to do or um, really being how I think Poe would behave. Um, I also felt like there were a lot of things that could have been done better with the background for um, Glenna Kip and for, you know, the, um, how'd you pronounce it? The Zijon the Dijon people. Mm-hmm. The I, I I'm been calling them the the Zion people, but I have no sure. idea if that's correct or not. So. Yeah, the the natives. We'll call them that. Yep. <laughs> the green bunnies. Yeah, the green bunnies. I felt like it, there just was a couple little weak plot points that I would have liked to see more development for, um, and then would have written Poe a little differently. Um, but otherwise, I think that the the themes are good. I think that it's an interesting story for Rose uh, in particular. And then also, especially this theme of how we fight is what matters. So I like it from from those aspects. But generally, I I would give it a three out of five. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I think you're absolutely right. This is uh, a three out of five. Um, and part of that is, I mean, we I think we just rightly mentioned, you know, some of the things that just don't stand up um and and part of that is the characterization that we get in the book with the characters um and 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 i I think you know what's frustrating is that you would have hoped that this would just this should be a book that is about the characters you know and their characterization and it's a little disappointing that um 
it's not as well done as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And if it had been done slightly better, um, I think I would have enjoyed the book more and it would have stood out more because, again, building these characters towards what we get in The Rise of Skywalker is really the most important part, you know. Uh, so all in all, it's it's not a bad book. Um, I think it's, you know, if you're looking towards, you know, just kind of reading yourself for The Rise of Skywalker, not a bad place um, to to start. Uh, but I don't know if it's necessarily a must read, I, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. But I'm excited to, as every week we have, to get to your recommendation. Yeah. So I'm going to um, go a little backward at this time and talk about something that I um, was introduced to by my husband and absolutely became obsessed with. Like, I would say my biggest fandom is Star Wars, second biggest Harry Potter, and this would be my third. You guys have not seen Firefly. It was a Joss Whedon show. It was on Sci-Fi Channel. It did end up getting canceled. Poor Joss. So many of his things get canceled. But it was so, so good for what it was. And uh, also um, ties in with the movie Serenity. So um, you need to see all of that if you haven't. And I believe you can watch it on Amazon Prime at this point. Um, may have to pay to rent it. But uh, it's incredible. Um, Nathan Fillion is a the lead character, Captain Mal, um, got some really other, some really amazing other actors, including Alan Tudyk, who doesn't love him. Um, so yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend Firefly. Well, that'll be the only person who recommends Firefly on this episode. Um, excuse you. (laughs) I do not like Firefly. (gasps) That's a whole other podcast. Stab me in the heart. Uh, Yes. I just, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but, um, it's funny, I'm going to go all the way back. So my wife has been watching the original season of Survivor. Oh, man, um, that's is old. Available, yeah, it is available on Amazon Prime. They have a bunch of the seasons, not every single season, but they have a lot of them on there. And it's been fascinating to watch through some of the episodes with her because I've been watching the show since the beginning. But, I mean, that's so long ago. I mean, and seriously, what, like 10 years it's been longer. Wow. Um, I mean, they have over 30 seasons now, so oh it's God. incredible. Uh, but it is fascinating to go back and see the genesis of everything. It just really is how it starts. And, I mean, what's fascinating about it, too, I think, is just you know, this was a whole new brand of television. It was something completely new. Uh, nothing like this had really been done before in the way that they did it. Uh, and it is totally worth going back and, and checking out, mainly because so many people, I'm sure, actually ha- these days probably haven't even seen the original season. I did. Uh, so if you have Amazon Prime, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, I did too. Um, so it's been really cool to kind of see that play out again. But um, yeah, so I check check out so the original season Survivor. Uh, if you've got Amazon Prime, totally worth it. Um, but... Christy, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what else you are up to, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell if you want to chat. I also am in the Babel Conference. And then you can find me as far as a couple other shows that I do. Uh, other, other than 602 Club, uh, I do a show once a month with uh, women from around the world called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network, where uh, literally women from six different places on the globe talk about Star Wars. So anything under the sun related to that. And then my next one would be my show uh, with my good friend, Teresa Delgado, called Sabers and Spells. We're actually recording our next episode this week, week of Halloween, as you listen to this. So um, that's coming out soon. We'll be talking about Disney Plus and all the exciting stuff we're going to watch on that. And uh, finally, I do a segment on my friend Riley's show, The Star Wars Report, once a month called Fashion in Five, about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And uh, the one for October is going to be chock full of stuff, because I don't know if you've seen Matt, but there's a ton of stuff now in Star Wars fashion in the Disney parks, among a million other things. Yeah, there's a lot coming out. Uh, and there's a lot available, which is actually pretty cool. So I love getting new stuff. Um, I just got a brand new Mandalorian t-shirt. Oh, they so look so I good. 
Yeah, it's so great. So, um, yeah, definitely check everything out that Christy is doing. It's totally worth it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can find me here on the uh, network doing the orb with chris jones talking about star trek deep space nine when we get a chance to record a new episode uh you can also find me on the nerd party network i do two shows there uh one is called outpost and i do that with dre kaufman we talk about harry potter each and every chapter of harry potter so make sure you check that out it's a lot of fun as we do that uh you can also find me over on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, talking about Star Wars each and every week. Uh, as we are getting into all of the goodness that is coming out Star Wars-wise, don't hesitate to check it out. And then last but not least, I do a show called Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney. That is where we talk about films, but through the ones of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 